Welcome to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Morning. Can everyone hear me? Cool. It's a good start. I think there's a video to play before. So I'll just watch that and then I'll uh, start. Hi, my name's Arnie. I'm a pastor in South Auckland. Uh, welcome to Prayer in South Denial 2019. I've got one of these and we are going to have a look at what Baptists do around the world. Come on, let's go check it out. We took Arnie on a three and a half week trip across Asia, giving him a glimpse into the breadth of work that we as New Zealand Baptists are engaged in overseas. Part of me doesn't know what to expect, so I'm just really looking forward to um, the, the privilege of just heading over, seeing what we're doing as Baptist churches. So um, part of me is a little bit nervous, part of me is mostly excited. Last flat white for a long time, <laughs> so I'm ready for anything. Over the course of this appeal, we will journey with Arnie as he comes face to face with the inescapable joys and challenges that come with being out on the mission field. Our hope is that through Arnie's reflections, you too will gain a greater insight into the places and activities we are involved in. As New Zealand Baptists, this is where God leads us. Cool. Well, it's my belief that pretty much every good sermon starts with a story, um, and I'm not about to break that mould, so here we go. Um... A couple of years back, I was travelling around Europe, um, and I found myself staying in Amsterdam. And um, one of the mornings, I, I, I was staying in a hostel, and I snuck out early, and I left all my new friends um, to sleep off their Heineken hangovers, and uh, started walking around the city. And I joined a little a little tour group, and um, yeah, we, we basically started walking around the city, um, saw all the sites, uh, the Rijksmuseum, the, the Dam Square, Royal Palace... Um, Jordan Shops, Amsterdam Stock Exchange, which is the first uh, of its kind in the world. And um, yeah, I, I had a ball, basically. It's, it's one of my favourite cities in the world. Um, near the end of the tour, our guide, um, he gathered us together and he pointed across this canal uh, to a building that had this big line of people um, standing outside of it. And he said, that over there is Anne Frank's house. He said... I've lived here all my life. I don't know how old he was, um, but he's, I've lived here all my life, he said. And people have been lining up to go inside and, and look at that house. Um, day and night, it's open from like 6 in the morning till 10 at night. Rain or shine, 364 days a year since it's opened. It opened in 1960. Um, so for those of you that don't know, Anne Frank was a, was a young Jewish girl who hid with her family from the Nazis in, in a series of small rooms um, they hid for two years, and um, yeah, after her death, she, she went to a concentration camp, and um, yeah, her dad found her diary that she'd kept over those two years, um, and uh, it was her wish that to be a writer someday, so her dad published the diary. Um, it's now been translated into over 70 languages, um, over 30 million copies sold, and over 35 million people, as of this year, have visited her house in Amsterdam. It's now a museum. So for me, um, that really struck a chord. Like I, I was a, a recently recommitted Christian. I was hungry to make a difference for the Lord and, and to make an impact. And um, yeah, that was a story that really sparked something in me. Um, and I think a part of everybody yearns to make a difference. Um, 
Even Hugh Hefner said that striving to make a difference is a life well spent. Um, but Hugh Hefner's idea of making a difference <laughs> is probably quite a bit different to Anne Frank's. And, and what difference are we called to make as Christians? Um, so last year, the company I worked for, um, we hired a new project manager and um, had been there for a couple of months or so and uh, him and I were assigned to a project together. So constant car rides back and forth to site. Um, we got to know each other a little bit better. One day he asked me, um, what are you doing for the weekend? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm going to go to church. I think I said, oh, I'm playing bass at church or something like that. And he's like, going to church? Are you a Christian? Um, and I'm like, uh, yeah, I, I am. And he said, oh, I had no idea. <laughs> Encouraging, eh? <laughs> yeah, well, he might have forgotten that com- comment or even the whole conversation soon after, um, but I sure didn't. Um, since then, I've been fascinated by what making a difference for God looks like practically in our everyday lives. Um, so since this whole topic of making differences framed around prayer and self-denial, I want to explore the difference that can be made through self-denial, which is the denial of one's own interests and needs in pursuit of God's will. So the first example I, I want to have a look at is and found in 1 Samuel chapter 13, if you've got your Bibles or phones or a great memory. Um, so, from a young age, I was absolutely fascinated with the stories of King David. I'm sure, I'm sure heaps of young Christian boys were. Um, David slaying the lion and the bear, David slaying Goliath, David slaying the Philistines. The man got through heaps of slaying. It was epic, absolutely epic. <laughs> but one thing that I think highlights the softer side of his story is his relationship with King Saul's son, Jonathan. Now, Jonathan had every reason to hate David. David was brave. David was well-liked. He was celebrated. Jonathan's own father, King Saul, hated David and even tried to kill him multiple times. Most of all, David stood in the way of Jonathan becoming king. It was either David or Jonathan. So, and why shouldn't Jonathan be king? He was a true warrior like David. In Samuel 13, 2, it describes his great victories over the Philistines. Samuel 14, 1 to 14, counts his great bravery. He trusted in the Lord. He only had a shield bearer beside him, and they basically went and, yep, did some more slaying. Um, even when his own father, King Saul, decides to have him killed for breaking a fast that Jonathan didn't even know about, the people of Israel come to his rescue and demand that he spared. Um, Jonathan appears to be nothing like his father, King Saul, and that's a good thing. But instead of hating David or resenting David, Jonathan does the opposite. 1 Samuel 18.1 reads, And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. So did you catch that? Jonathan loved David as much as he loved himself which is quite a lot, which is, sorry, which is a, a big thing to say considering, considering what David was potentially holding back for Jonathan. Jonathan encouraged David, he clothed David, he gave David his bow and his sword, he even saved David's life by helping him escape Saul. He, and he risked his own life in the process. So even in death, Jonathan is humble, obedient, and, and displays self-denial. While his father, King Saul, commits suicide, Jonathan dies in battle alongside his brothers. 
faithful in his duty until the very end. So I've got another example here, which is found in Ruth. So if we want to turn to Ruth, um, this is a great story. It starts with a woman named Naomi and her husband with a hard-to-pronounce name, Elimelech. Elimelech. Um, at the start, there's great famine going on in Israel. And Naomi and Elimelech decide to travel to the country of Moab, which is in modern-day Jordan, and basically try and start over. Um, now, Moab and Israel had a bit of a rocky past, and it's kind of safe to say that they were enemies. They weren't, weren't really friendly. Um, and soon after they arrive, Naomi's husband dies. Um, and she's left with just her and her two sons. Um, and her two sons go on to marry Moabite girls, Orpah and Ruth. Then her sons die. Not much luck at all for Naomi. Um, she decides that she's going to go back to Israel. And uh, Ruth 1, 8 to 12, details a discussion that she has with Ruth and Orpah, so her daughter-in-laws. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. But they don't want to go. Um, they want to stay with Naomi. They want to travel with her to Israel. Um, so Naomi really lays, on, lays it on the line. She says in verse 11, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there any more sons in my womb that they shall be made your husbands? Turn again. Go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. I should say, I have hope if I could have a husband tonight and would be a sons, would you tarry or, or wait for them until they were grown? Would you stay with them instead of having other husbands? Um, Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So, fair to say that they're pretty much off the hook, really. I mean, no one would blame them for leaving. I mean, she says, she says it, go, leave. And going back to their families, well... Orpah does just that. She, she's up and she's gone. She's back to her family. But Ruth's response to Naomi is detailed in verse 16. And Ruth said this, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, thy God my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried the Lord do so to me, and more also, if or death part thee and me. Wow. <laughs> what a pledge. Like, What do you even say to that? Um, yeah, Naomi agrees, and, and she lets Ruth go with her, and they travel to Bethlehem. Now, they just so happen to arrive at the start of the barley harvest, and Ruth gets straight to work um, on a plan to secure them both some food. Um, so chapter uh, 2, verse 2 reads... And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me go now to the field and glean, or, or gather, ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. So I thought that was such a humble approach. Like, she doesn't say, I'll go and I'll, and I'll get these scraps of corn, and, and, and like, no one's going to deny me that sure right, that little, that little right, surely. No one's going to deny that to me. Instead, she says, I will go and get this corn in the hope that someone will allow me to take it. She expects nothing but hopes for everything. So Ruth carries out her plan to collect the corn scraps and she is noticed, and by quite the man indeed. His name's Boaz, he's like the local stud, he's a wealthy farmer, and he runs the whole operation. Um, he's so impressed um, by Ruth, her humility and her support 
of her mother-in-law, Naomi, that he lets her gather whatever she wants and instructs his men not to bother her. Um, now, it turns out that Boaz was from the same family of Naomi's late husband, Imelech. And the cultural practice in Israel was that if a man died and left a family, it was up to his kinsman, his close male relative, to marry the widow and protect the family. So Ruth basically asked Boaz, point blank, will you marry me? Um, quite progressive. <laughs> very, very 2019 of her. Um, so there's, but there's another man. There's another man who's a closer relative. And so he's more eligible to marry Ruth than Boaz. But once he hears that Ruth's a Moabite, He's like, no, I'm not king. Declines to marry her. But in steps Boaz and agrees to marry Ruth because according to Ruth 3.11, he knows that Ruth's a virtuous woman. Um, some versions say courageous or noble. He's, he's seen it. He's seen her faith in action. Um, so they go on to have a baby and Naomi finally gets a grandkid. It's been a while. Um, so my last example is a bit closer to home. Uh, first of all, I've got a clip that uh, I like to play guys can help me out down the back what do you think the chances are of a guy like you and a girl like me ending up together well Lloyd that's difficult to say and we really don't hit me with it just give it to me straight I came a long way just to see you Mary just least you can do is level with me what are my chances not good You mean not good like one out of a hundred? I'd say more like one out of a million. So you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Still gets me, absolute classic. <laughs> Now, all jokes aside, um, it's a bit of a warped view of, of persistence, but uh, <laughs> now, all jokes aside, some of you are aware that I'm involved in a ministry called CAP Release Group. Um, for those that don't know, it's a support group for people that struggle with addictions. And um, recently, I found myself in a bit of a discouraging situation um, regarding the, the release group. I had to take the church keys back to Murray and Jenny's place 30 minutes after I picked them up. Why? Um, because no one showed up. No one. Um, so Murray and Jenny were gracious and encouraging, as they always are, um, but I couldn't help thinking that I'd fallen short, that I'd wasted the church's time and money. Um, now, on the way back home, I felt the Lord calling me to persevere. And, and I, I had to, I had to, in that moment, surrender the release group to the Lord. Um, I had to remind myself that if I truly believed that God was behind it, then I had nothing to worry about. And I can honestly say that the, the weeks following that and all, all the way up to now have been some of the most encouraging to date. Um, I love being involved in a release group and I have faith that the Lord's going to use it as he pleases, no matter how many people show up. Um, so I use Matthew eighteen twenty for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. That's, that's an encouragement for me. Um, a powerful verse, actually. Um, yeah. So... Where am I attempting to go with all this? Well, hopefully there's been a couple of character traits that have popped up for you in these examples. So, to me, Jonathan displays great discernment, humility, and self-denial. Um, Jonathan recognized that David was chosen of the Lord, 
and, and he stepped aside to allow the Lord's will to be done in David's life. So in, in his covenant to David, he adheres to the commandment of loving your neighbor as yourself that Jesus later confirms in Matthew twenty two thirty nine. So in doing so, and, in doing, and through his actions, Jonathan had a great and lasting impact on David's life. So 1 Samuel twenty forty one accounts this impact. As soon as a lad was gone, David arose out of a place towards the south, fell on his face to the ground, bowed himself three times, they kissed one another and wept until David exceeded, which basically means David wept even more than Jonathan. So great was David's sorrow about them saying goodbye for the last time. Verse 42 reads, And Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for as much as we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord be between me and thee, and between my seed and thy seed forever. So David, he goes on to become king of Israel. He's a biblical hero to multitudes the world over, including myself. But would we have the same David if we had a different Jonathan? In the example of Ruth, she displays remarkable loyalty, servant-heartedness, and boldness. She puts aside her own well-being and chooses to follow Naomi and the God of Israel, a strange God to her, even if it costs her her life. She chooses to be a widowed foreigner in a land of her traditional enemies. No task is beneath her, and she's not afraid of hard work. One thing that actually fascinates me about this story is how little God's actually mentioned. The characters talk about God a couple of times, but the narrator never actually mentions God doing anything directly. But God's providence, or his protective care, is at work behind every scene of this story. It weaves together all the circumstances and choices of these characters, so, in working through Naomi and her boldness and loyalty, God rest- uh, working, sorry, through Ruth and her boldness and loyalty, God restores Naomi and her family. It explores God's purposes and will working together with human decision and will. God weaves together the faithful obedience of his people to bring about restoration in the world. And so the final verses of the book of Ruth um, actually list a genealogy. And Ruth's son, Obed, is revealed to be the great-grandfather of King David, from whom came the lineage of the Messiah. So these seemingly ordinary events of the story are woven into God's grand plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. So the story of Ruth is a great one. It invites us to consider at how God might be at work in the very ordinary details of our lives too. Mm. So, like, there are so many heroes in the Bible, so many examples I could have chosen, um, but I, I, I felt the need to choose these ones because I felt they really explored the self-denial, boldness, and determination that I believe it takes to make a daily difference for God. So, more importantly, both these stories point to the perfect example of all these traits, Jesus Christ. So, Jesus left his royal palace in heaven to be, born on a smelly, uh, to be born in a smelly stable on an earth full of his enemies. He hung out with so, the so-called scraps of society, the prostitutes, the disease, the tax collectors. But his choices made possible that plan that God had for us all along. Redemption and acceptance back into God's family. So I, if you don't know Jesus, I, I strongly suggest you start. Um, he's more loyal than Jonathan or Ruth combined. And if you feel like you knew him once but maybe you've, you've gone astray, you've made too many mistakes for him to accept you back, then I repeat, he's more loyal than Jonathan or Ruth combined. He's never left your side.
So, you might be thinking, I haven't really said anything about overseas missions. Isn't this what prayer and self-denial, this whole thing's about? Um, well, through this church family, um, I've had the privilege of getting to know a few families that have a heart for missions, and you guys all know who they are. If I was to think of some immediate qualities that they possess, common ones, very common ones, at the top of the list would, would be servant-hearted. You don't leave your friends and family and go halfway across the world to serve others if you don't have a heart for it. Um, they often deny their own self-interest to carry out God's will. In the same token, you don't travel halfway across the world to a strange country where Christians are probably not just the minority, but persecuted without boldness. Um, and perseverance, well, that's, that's kind of a given. Like, I, I can't imagine having my support system be thousands of miles away and still standing strong to the place where God's called me. Um, that's, to me, that's perseverance. That's determination in the face of difficulty. But those character traits are all are just as applicable to witnessing here as they are to witnessing half the world away. Our mission field is right outside those doors. In fact, your mission field might be right inside this building. Who am I to comment on that? So, in summary, Jonathan showed us that you can make a positive difference even with a dysfunctional family. Ruth showed us that you can make a positive difference in a foreign land without a penny to your name. And Anne Frank didn't even leave her house to make a difference. Small acts of service, boldness, and perseverance have the power to make a difference. But most importantly, if you surrender your idea of making a difference to God and let him lead the way, that will make all the difference. So what are you sowing into eternity? If you want to be a David, are you first willing to be a Jonathan? So let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for this time and, and thank you for this topic of prayer and self-denial and where you're leading, Lord. And um, Lord, I just pray that everyone here would be able to surrender, would, would have something put on their hearts, Lord, that you will them to surrender to you. And I ask that you'd lead us, Heavenly Father, not just as individuals, but as a whole church to truly seek out your will, Heavenly Father. And to remember that even in the small, little, ordinary things of our lives, Lord, we can serve you. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.